Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Well, listen, times could be hard <laughs> if this gambling review goes away yes. that racing doesn't want it Neat to go. Neat segue. Yeah. Well, I, I, well, well t just tell me, before we, before mm. we hear from Nigel Huddleston mm. and hear what he had to say in Parliament earlier this week, and before we hear from Bridget Simmons, the chair of the Betting and Gaming Council, your take as someone whose living is about betting primarily on horse racing. Well, I, I, I just can't believe it, actually. I've listened to a dozen people talk about it this week. I've read countless blogs. Nobody's taking it seriously enough. This, this is literally the future of the sport. I, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that this is an existential threat to horse racing. Um, you know, it, it's not a question of whether uh, uh, deposit limits come in. It's a question of how much they are. Uh, and it's not a question of uh, whether we lose, you know, 20% of turnover on horse racing, 30% of turnover on horse racing. You know, it probably will be 40 or 50% of turnover. Uh, I, you know, the, uh, there's been a lot of talk, John Gosden sort of talking about, oh, you know, we need to just sort out the levy, horse racing will, will be, it'll solve all our problems. And it's true, you know, the, the levy uh, was, a, at the time, it seemed like a, a good arrangement to come to that is based on gross profits. Uh, the companies are, are quite smart, you know, they perhaps change their tactics a little bit in the way they market racing. And now there's a thought that, well, if we just switch it over to turnover, we get a bit more money out of the bookmakers, everything will be fine. Um, it's quite hard for the people working on that levy reform to plan anything when they don't know what the turnover is going to be. Turnover could literally good 50% wiped out overnight. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure Nigel Huddleston's a great guy. Um, I'm not sure that there are a lot of people uh, it, from the political side of this thing that really understand gambling properly, and that worries me. Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Let's hear from Nigel Huddleston now. This was his opening address to the House of Commons. Mr. 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 Speaker, the, uh, the Gambling Act has been the basis for virtually all gambling regulation in the UK since 2005, but a huge amount has changed since then. The internet and the prevalence of smartphones has transformed the way we work, play, shop and gamble. We can now gamble anywhere at any time. So it's time to take stock of the significant changes of the last 15 years and to pull our legal and regulatory framework into the digital age. So today we're launching the first part of our comprehensive review 
of the Gambling Act. It will be a wide-ranging and evidence-led look at the industry, and it will consider the many issues that have been raised by parliamentarians and many other stakeholders. We want to listen, to gather the evidence, and think deeply about what we need for the next decade and beyond. Nearly half of the adult population gambles each month, and for the majority of people, gambling is a fun and carefree leisure activity. It's also a sector that supports 100,000 jobs and pays nearly £3 billion a year in taxes. However, we know that in some cases, gambling can cause significant damage to people's lives, including mental health problems, relationship breakdown, debt, and in extreme cases, suicide. We must ensure our regulatory and legislative framework delivers on a core aim of the 2005 Act, the protection of children and vulnerable people in a fair, open and crime-free gambling economy. So this review will seek to strike a careful balance between giving individuals the freedom to choose how they spend their own money while protecting vulnerable people and their families from gambling-related harm. We will look at whether we should introduce new protections on online products and consumer accounts, including stake and prize limits, and how we can make sure children and young people are protected. We will also consider gambling advertising, including sports sponsorship, while taking into account the extremely difficult financial situation that many sports and organisations find themselves in now, as well as broadcasters as a result of COVID. We will look at redress arrangements for consumers where, for example, an operator has failed to step in to help a problem gambler. We will consider barriers to effective research on the causes and impact of problem gambling. And we will consider whether the Gambling Commission is keeping pace with the licensed sector and can effectively deal with unlicensed operators. We will also make sure we have a fair playing field for online and offline gambling. Many of these areas were highlighted in a thought-provoking report by the House of Lords Select Committee. The report and others help, has helped inform our thinking and our desire to make sure the review is wide in scope. And we are publishing our response to the Lords report alongside this review. I also know that honourable members across the House have seen evidence from their own constituents about the harm that gambling can do to individuals and their families. We want to hear from these people whose lives have been affected by gambling, as well as from academics and the gambling industry, so that we have the evidence to deliver real and lasting change. We are therefore starting the review with a call for evidence which will run for 16 weeks and is now available on the gov.uk website. And while this review is an opportunity to consider changes for the future, we are also taking action now to protect people from gambling harm. So the Gambling Commission will continue to build on recent progress to strengthen protections as the industry regulator. Our ban on gambling with credit cards came into force in April, and new tighter rules on VIP schemes were implemented at the end of October. Further work is also in progress on the design of online slot games, as well as on how operators identify and intervene to protect customers who may be at risk, including through affordability checks. And it's those last two words that are potentially uh, crucial as regards the funding of horse racing. Affordability checks, Neil Channing, that you were talking about in a, yeah. few, a few moments ago. And we'll talk about that with Dennis Madsen from Sweden in a moment. How do you think that could manifest itself? Uh, well, it seems that the government uh, have managed to tune into this uh, think tank, the Social Market Foundation. And um, they're quite keen on the idea 
uh, that anybody that deposits more than 100 a month... More than 100 uh, pounds a, a month. Yeah, with a bookmaker, um, should have to prove where they're getting that money from, send in you know, your P60, uh, bank statements, that kind of thing. Uh, and obviously, you know, people are going to find that quite intrusive. Some people are not going to be able to do that. So it's going to mean that they can't prove that they can afford to gamble 100 a month. Uh, and some people are just going to not be bothered. You know, they're just going to think, well, I, can't, I don't really want the government to know this kind of information, and I'll, I'll probably just go and find another hobby. And people talk about racing being ring-fenced, so racing's mm. protected from such measures, and this might only apply to games online that are games of chance rather than perceived games well, of yeah, skill. The, but how do you do that? I don't see well, how I you think quite that's, I think that. that's impossible because, you know, the, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. The, the, the gambling companies, for, for right or wrong, decided to become one-stop shops for all kinds of gambling products. Uh, if you open an account with one of the big bookmakers, you know, you're a click away from a casino or bingo or games uh, or whatever they're trying to sell you. Uh, and all of those things are obviously more profitable to the company than horse racing. Uh, and, and, and there is some evidence that all of those things are much more addictive. So some people would say, well, you, they just need to deal with those things. Those are the, the areas of where problem gambling should come in. Um, I was going to talk to you about the Tory party and mm. the, the, the kind of dichotomy that's going on there. Um, it just seems a bit... I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, my politics, I'm not a big fan of the Tory party, but putting that aside... Are you not? No, funnily enough. Uh, but putting that aside, you know, like, we, we had a general election last year, as you may remember, uh, where they basically got rid of anybody that wasn't a kind of right-wing fundamentalist. They, they're, they're, they're the most right-wing... Uh, 1922 committee backbench of Tory MPs are more right-wing than they've ever been, more libertarian. So, you know, these people are very much in the sort of small government. We don't want to interfere in people's lives, let people decide what they want to do. But this is kind of, you know, goes against the other yeah. thing. Uh, Boris Johnson apparently doesn't really understand gambling. He doesn't understand the appeal of it. He doesn't gamble himself and he, he's not sure about it. Uh, he has a head of policy at number 10 uh, called, um, I'm going to get her name right, uh, Manira Mirza. And um, she's a strong libertarian, uh, but on the other hand, she's said to be anti-gambling. And mm. it's, it's that push that's tending to drive this. Now, I don't think anyone disagrees that the Gambling Act of 2005, which came in in 2007, is, to use a commonly used phrase, uh, analogue legislation in a digital age. Um, and it probably needs updating, and there's lots of areas that you could look at. Um, but it, it's interesting that some people on the Tory backbenches, I'm, I'm sure if Philip Davis was here, he would say, look, people, just let them decide how much they want to gamble. It's fine. It's up, the market decides. People are individuals. You know, we deal with the people that are problem gamblers. We put stuff in to help them. But, you know, people are entitled to go and do stupid things if they want to do them. Uh, some other people would say, well, you know, you've, this market can't be trusted to run itself and you need to interfere in it. It's great global capitalism, isn't it? You know, it's, it's all about free markets until you need to interfere in them uh, because they don't work. Um, but I, I, I sort of take the example of the sugar tax. You know, Boris Johnson uh, was quite a strong advocate for the sugar tax. Um, some would say, you know, partly because he's a bit of a fatty. Um, but uh, he, you know, the food industry has a huge lobby within the Tory party and within Parliament generally, and they were very strongly against it. A lot of backbench libertarian Tories said, you know, what the hell are you doing here? And he was swayed by the arguments that, well, the NHS suffers because of 
you know, increase in diabetes, whatever. And he brought in the sugar tax. A lot of people say, well, this is going to be the thin end of the wedge. Once he does that, it's going to be salt and, and so on and so on, fast food. Um, I think with the gambling, it's quite similar, the argument to the whole kind of whip RSPCA grand national argument, whereby, you know, people within the industry might say, well, if you give an inch on these things, they're going to abolish the whole thing eventually. Let's talk to Bridget Simmons, who's the chair of the Betting and, and Gaming Council. Uh, Bridget, morning. Good morning, Nick. I, I suspect you've heard what, what Neil Channing has been saying here. Um, how do you, as a council that represents the interests of, of bookmakers here in the, in the UK, approach government now? Do you have to be seen to be somewhat non-interventionist or do you just lobby hard? have to work with everybody and I hope we will work with the horse racing industry with individual MPs I, I mean I think we've got to be really careful at this stage not to have too much misinformation I mean we're keen for this to be balanced proportionate but above all evidence-led and I was listening to not this channel but another racing channel where the commentator said of course there's been this increase in advertising which has led to a huge increase in problem gambling I mean, there is no evidence that that's the case the evidence on problem gambling is that it's been around 0.5 percent for the last 20 years and actually in advertising, you know about the whistle-to-whistle ban that we introduced five minutes before, five minutes after advertising. I mean, that's reduced the exposure to young people on television by about 97%. So it's got to be evidence-led. Uh, this issue of affordability is really important. And at the moment, we've got a slight disconnect, I fear, between the Gambling Commission, which has got a consultation on... on, on um, on affordability, uh, which is meant to end, you're meant to put in your evidence by the 12th of January, although we have said that it's far too short, that doesn't fit with government convention of three months and they should be extending it to the 12th of February. Um, but what we, I, I, where I think you're absolutely right is we will be in a position where people will walk away. If people start asking them for their tax return, somebody suggested, I mean, I wouldn't share my tax return with anybody. Um, and whether I wanted to bet or not, we will be driving people to a black market. And we'll be driving people to a black market. We already know from PwC that 200,000 people took part in black market activities, unregulated activities, essentially elsewhere in the world in 20. 2019. We will be doing what they've done in Sweden, which is now I think the numbers are up to about 40% of people because they've made it too tight. So at the end of the day, we've got to make sure that we come out with something that's got balance. I do just want to talk to you a little bit about problem gambling because there's been some contention this week between Michael Duggar, your, your chief executive, who was in debate with ITV's Richard Hoyles about whether problem gambling had increased. And you're talking about evidence-led review. Certain charities, uh, addiction charities, particularly the Gordon Moody Association, they say that during COVID, and this may be a COVID-specific issue, and, and tell me if you think that it is, but the problem gambling had increased, judged on their anecdotal evidence from calls that they were receiving. So they were saying that their calls were going from 30 calls a month to 1,000 calls a month during the period from April to June. Now, w surely the, the betting industry has to take stock of that and not just push it under the carpet and say, that's not true, that doesn't exist, there's nothing to see here, move on. Are you there, Bridget?
think we I think we may have lost Bridget. <coughs> well, while we while we while we try and get Bridget back, Neil, um, how what would you what would you say to that? Well, I mean, I, in terms of problem gambling, I, I think Bridget's right that generally, uh, you know, levels are quite low. But there is a, obviously the definition of problem gambling is awkward. You know, I, I read something this week where somebody said. Uh, well, you know, we define problem gambling and, and they had a whole bunch of metrics. One of the things was like, have you ever regretted having too much on after a bet has finished? Well, some people would say, yeah, every time if it loses, you know, like it, it's kind of ridiculous. You, you know, I, I've joked with people in the past that the 20 questions from Gamblers Anonymous, yeah, you know, I've got 18 out of 20 easiest quiz I've ever done. You know, has gambling ever affected your personal relationships? Yeah, the missus sometimes says to me, you know, we were supposed to go to the garden centre and you insisted on watching those those races from Hereford. You know, it's... It, the, the problem gambling is... You're right, everything in this has to be evidence-led, mm. but... You know, when you're talking about affordability, when you're talking about problem gambling, there's not a set way of measuring those things. No. And, uh, you know, it's difficult. That, so, Bridget, I, you, I don't know if you heard, I think we've got you back now, I don't know if you heard what Neil was saying there. You know, it is, a lot of this is based on anecdotal evidence. That is, that is just the, the nature of, of what we're dealing with here. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't take this anecdotal evidence seriously, does it? If a, if a, a charity is saying no. there is more problem gambling, we have to take that as, as read. Uh, we absolutely do. I mean, I, I did an interview this week about women in gambling and, and one of the charities is saying that there's been an, an increase in those numbers. But what we've got to make sure is that this is... Uh, and, you know, we as an industry have to make sure that we are not preying on vulnerable people. And during the COVID lockdown, we've increased the number of safer gambling messages to our customers by 150%. And without doubt, there's more interventions that we can do. But there are other ways of cutting this issue of affordability. It doesn't have to be all about you have to produce your bank statements. Yes, of course, you've got to produce information. But there's more that banks could do to share information with us. We need to talk to the Information Commission about how we can share information between each other. Uh, there's, there's, there's a holistic way of approaching this, I think, which would be better than simply saying to people, if you don't produce all this information, uh, you're not going to be able to gamble at all. Because as, as, as actually was a member of the House of Lords Select Committee said at, at uh, something I was speaking at with him, if I had £50,000 redundancy and I wanted to spend it on a land bikini, no one would ask me where I got the money from. So we've got to be absolutely careful that we're not intervening in the wrong way with people who actually want to use uh, their money on gambling when 30 million people in this country take part in gambling activities yeah. on a regular basis and the vast majority do so safely. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday. Neil Channing is with me. We're going to have a look back now at some of the action from Cheltenham yesterday. And we ran the Unibet International Hurdle and a good prize up for this as well, over £100,000 with just over half the hurdles. So it changed the dimension of the race. It was academic as regards the performance of much vaunted Goshen because he ran really poorly. Now, there was a reason for this. David Yates in the mirror last night broke the news that Goshen will be checked over again today, but he was found to have had atrial fibrillation, which is exactly what afflicted Paisley Park after his disappointing run in the stairs. Denman 
and Sprinter Sacra have also had the same problem. It is treatable, horses can come back from it, but this is a valid excuse for Goshen's poor run. What do we make of the race as a whole, Neil Channing? Uh, well, generally, I, I have to say, uh, overall, I, I was kind of a bit disappointed with the meeting at Cheltenham. You know, Simon Clay told us it was good to soft going into Friday, and then we ended up having a meeting on heavy ground where they never managed to jump the full number of obstacles in any race. Um, I mean, actually, personally, I love the race. I backed the winner. Uh, <coughs> but, um, I, you know, I mean, basically they finished in a heat, didn't they? It was a, it, 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 I don't think it was a, like a proper race, really. Well, I, I'll make a few <coughs> observations. I think the winner is progressive. Mm. We're going to have his, his trainer in the Oh, he's the lovely. Very yeah, shortly. I mean, I'd like to own him. Yes. Uh, the <coughs> second silver streak is a consistently underrated horse who was... I thought extremely unlucky. He I got stopped ran, at least he, three or four he, times. He ran really well, and I, I must admit, going into the race, I, if the going had been good to soft, uh, that would have been my bet, and I would have really liked that. Uh, I didn't think he liked that. Kind of Silver Street. Yeah, I was quite surprised well, on the ground. I, I think this horse, even in his advanced years, is, yeah. starting, is improving and yeah. improving. Yeah, I like the horse. Yeah, and and consistently underrated. Goshen was obviously the putative star of the day based on what he'd done in the in the triumph hurdle. I mean, it was a great shame these things can happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, he's been beaten on the flat a couple of times. Gary Moore's come out and said, you know, if you understand horse racing, you'd understand he, he should get beat, that kind of thing. I, I, I haven't really warmed to Goshen that much. I, I'm, I'm, having said that, I was somebody that benefited from... Uh, from Goshen falling at Cheltenham, so uh, you know, I suppose that you're might all, be it. You're all heart now. Um, <laughs> so Goshen was found to have atrial fibrillation last night, um, and Gary's on the line now. Morning, Gary. Is, is the horse okay this morning? Yeah, he's absolutely fine. Thank you very much. Um, he ate up last night, ate all his food. He's been out for an hour this morning before it started raining, and he seems quite happy. So the vet, the vet checked him over afterwards, is that right, and found that he had this, this fibrillating heart. Does that flip back to a normal rhythm fairly quickly? It can do, yes. Yeah, um, obviously my vet's coming in sometime this morning to check him out, you know. And uh, I know no more than that, to be perfectly honest with you. But, I mean, we've seen it with Paisley Park, we saw it with Denman, we saw it with Sprinter Sacra. However good the horse is, if you've got your heart out of rhythm, you're not going to be able to, you know, you're barely going to be able to raise a walk, let alone a gallop. That's right. At least he's got a heart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is, is it something you've experienced much with, with horses in the past? I've, I've, had, you know, I've been training a long time, and yeah. that's the fourth time that, you know, that it's happened to me, yeah, definitely. So it's, it's rare, but it's not, it's not completely uncommon. In your experience of having had horses with it before, what's the sort of next step now normally? What's the, is, there, is there a big treatment programme, or do you just give them a bit of rest? I think you just give them a bit of time, you know, time sort of heals every, mends everything, doesn't it? Um, so I, I don't really see it. See, uh, well, obviously, we'll get a, there's, a, there's a lady in Lambourne, I think, who, who does that. We'll get her down to check it um, and, and take it from there. But, you know, unless, you, unless you'd um, look into it more, you know, he seems fine this morning. You wouldn't know there was a problem with him anyway, you know? Well, that's that is encouraging, and it's encouraging it that he yeah. ate. I mean, what, what did what did Jamie say when he came back in terms of just the way the horse felt through the race? Uh, to be quite honest, it was it was a mess of a race. You know, when they start taking hurdles out, your first two hurdles are gone, and then <laughs> the horse was always kind of 
he was over racing, and we learned a lot of disappointment from yesterday. But we learned one thing: don't don't restrain the horse. Let him use his stride and let him get on with it. I think he gets claustrophobic and doesn't want to be tight amongst horses, you know. So I know it's the same for all of them and everything, but he he he's a little bit different in that way. He, he doesn't like he doesn't like being crowded. In the time of hurdle, it was good because one went on, the the horse skeletons went on, yeah, and then he sat upside another one, and that was he's in a perfect world then. But yesterday, it was, we I tried to we we've been trying to hold him up rather than let him use his stride because I don't think horses last all the time. They're out there making the run in. So we tried to hold him up yesterday and it's a complete wrong thing to do. And I know, I know beforehand, Gary, and, I, and you, you'll say uh, you've been besieged by phone calls all week and, and you say, well, you know, if we, if we don't go and, and win, then we probably won't go and win a, win a champion hurdle. But isn't, isn't horse racing about learning about horses as you go along? Sometimes you do get disappointment. Sometimes you do get beaten. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean the horse is, is finished. That's it. He's no good. Surely. No. No, it doesn't because he, for me, he, 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 he ran such a good race at um, Goodwood when he ran. You know, I was highly delighted with him that day, and he, he was off the front that day. He let him use his stride, you know. And when he when they went past him, he actually tried to come again, but the, the line came too quick. Um, and uh, what you probably didn't really notice when Jamie, when they'd all gone past him. Jamie kind of stood up on him and went to pull him up, but he 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 he, he went he, he was wanted, willing to go on again now after that, you know. It's it's interesting, isn't it? And then of course you don't really know how much the how much is is the heart issue has has contributed Had to that impact on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're not going to give up. We're going to keep the faith, and fingers crossed he can he can, he can recover accordingly. Are you are you in your own mind? writing off the rest of this season or do you just take it day at a time? Definitely not, no, don't take it day at a time. He, well, he won't run. He, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. He, 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 he's had a not very great preparation going into today. You yeah. know? Uh, there's, there's been niggly problems all, all, all the way through. Um, stupid things. And um, I think he might need that race. It's like his first run of the season, really, as far as I'm concerned. And like I learned a lot, and it definitely, it definitely, the fact that yeah, I'll see how he is in the next two days, and this heart thing is, and then we'll take it from there. But he definitely won't write him off for the season. No, definitely not. No. It, it sounds like he's such an unusual horse in a way, Gary. That he's such an, he's a bit of an odd bod. You know, obviously massively talented. That you almost have to think about things in a different way to how you would normally think about things. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, you, you know, you just. He's very special. He's got his own way of doing things, and uh, and one of the main things is letting him use his stride, and it doesn't like horses around him. Well, he runs away from him. Well, the the main thing is he's he's good this morning, and and keep our fingers crossed for him. I just want to ask about Benatar because he ran a massive, massive race in that Caspian Caviar Gold Cup. You must have been getting quite excited midway down the back. Yeah, I was, you know, like, well, I was just say how long, how long can he keep going? Because he, he over-raced for the first part of the race, you know, he was just doing slightly too much. And I, I was quite surprised that when Jamie did take it up, that he was able to take it up. And, you know, I was highly delighted. He's a very talented He's another one who's not without his problem or two. And as long as we space his races out, he'll be fine, you know? Do you think you can get a clear sight, clear sight at it now? Do you reckon he's, he's OK? Well, I think we know how to manage him. He's no one who does have 
I mean, he, he, it's quite no secret. He, he, he bad bleeder, you know, and, and uh, uh, I think we can man- we managed it quite well. Uh, and um, it was a great thing that he was able to go and have a race course gallop at Newbury, you know, and that, that's why he was able to run so well today. Uh, Gary, thanks so much, and appreciate the update. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye bye. Gary Moore on on Goshen, a horse who is. I think sort of destined to to give him quite a few sleepless nights and have him scratching his head. Benatar bleeds maybe, but when he's on song, he's good, but not quite as good yesterday as Chatham Street Lad, right? Chatham Street Lad is the big dark horse in fourth with the red detail on the sleeves of his silks. Uh, He he won this race with a, a sort of ease uh, relish and contempt that I just don't think I've ever seen in a handicap <laughs> like this before. Yeah, it's uh, unbelievable. I, I, I've been not slug off this horse. You're probably going to ring up the trainer now. I, um, you dumb me up like a kipper there with Gary. Um, no, it was amazing. It, it was breathtaking, actually. Uh, yeah, not much else to say, really. I mean, he's one with absolute stones in hand. And the, I mean, the question is, can you can you believe that he's going to repeat this effort. If he does repeat this effort, and he's still a novice chaser, yeah, yeah. Forget, surely a novice chase yeah, yeah. is the way forward, isn't it? And yeah. that's kind of half what Michael Winter suggested. If yeah. you listen very carefully to the interview, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> you have to listen quite carefully when Michael's talking. Yeah, his interviews are very good, though. Um, I, I mean, the inclination is always to sort of throw out one piece of form, but this horse has other good form. You know, he won well the time before. Um, the heavy ground as well, you know, maybe it was a bit gluey there yesterday. And, he didn't make uh, it look gluey, did he? He didn't, but, some, you know, possibly some of the others didn't run their race. Um, I'm not going to say it's bad form, though. I mean, that was a very... Com- going in, that looked like a hugely competitive race, and he just blitzed them. So, yeah, I mean, he's on the upgrade, clearly. I mean, th- th- I think one of the reasons why I'm trying to rationalise it but can't is because all his wins bar one, which came at Ballinrobe, mm. had come at Cork, yeah. which is a... A speed favouring yeah. sharp track. Yeah. A lot of them have come over two miles. It is, yeah. of course, his local track, McWinter's local track. Mm. Mm. He's a horse who, in his first incarnation over fences, had shown virtually nothing. But mm. Mick says we needed time to grow up. He was feeding him big cooking apples, and that. he was a yeah. bit spoiled. Pulse lips and cookie apples. I, uh, and I just, yeah, it's just, it's yeah. just one of those things. You just, yeah, think, it was. I, I didn't back it, and I, I, it wasn't one that I considered, and I just was like, wow, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was yeah, it was good. It was good to watch. So, what, had he been on your shortlist or not? Not at all. No, no I hadn't no. really. I had about. It, it wasn't a race I went mad in, but yeah, I mean, it, I probably bet a couple of horses that didn't like the ground. Actually, um, you can catch the the full interview that I did with Mick Winters on the on the Racing TV website. In his in his interview on ITV yesterday with with Alice Plunkett, Alice reminded him that he'd offered to to roll around in the mud like a pig if he won, <laughs> and, and on air. I hadn't seen that. He, he's terrific value, though, isn't he? I, I, I watched him uh, about a week ago do an interview as well. Very funny guy. Oh, magnificent stuff. And you'll remember him from exploits with horses like in Miss Galway. United. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two yeah. Galway hurdles. Yeah. Magnificent dual-purpose yeah. mayor, Miss United, was one of my favourites. You know, she's I said in Galway there. I got in it Galway, in Galway, you did. Yeah. In Galway, very yeah, good. The last time, yeah. yeah. You're speaking. <laughs> I picked up the language, yeah. And it was a, a wonderful two days for the very, very small amount of Irish horses who ran at Cheltenham. They all won. 
the cross country race on Friday, Absolutely. and then the two races yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it was three from four, or three from three, or three from yeah, four. Yeah, this, this one. Is, this this was is made impressive. good. A, t a two miler winning a three mile hobbies hurdle in, yeah. in deep ground with a flat pedigree yeah. and completely exposed uh, this for was, John McConnell uh, and Richard Johnson. This was pretty impressive as well, actually, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, a bit of a funny race. Hurdles missed out and whatever. Did you? I heard you ask the question about why don't why do they make them kind of run around the chicane and why don't they just take, take, the, hurdles take out. the hurdle out so they can just run through the middle? I'm what, guessing. What was, what was the well, answer? To I, that? I haven't had an answer yet. I mean, because it's sometimes not, not so much yesterday, but sometimes when they miss out hurdles, you think, oh my god, how are they all going to get through that little gap? Mm. There's going to be an accident. Well, I think it was particularly pertinent at the end of the international hurdle, wasn't it? Because there were horses significantly inconvenienced Impeded, by having yeah, to yeah. chicane and if they'd actually had the full width of the of the hurdle to to run through then i think it might have been a different result though don't tell tom simmons that if he's in the building uh, um this was john mcconnell's winner of the uh, of the albert bartlett novices hurdle yes i don't think that's going to have a great impact on anything no, going forward no, no. i mean but, it, yeah it's it's an unsatisfactory race isn't it i mean you know that's supposed to be a, a proper staying hurdle race to test stamina and ability to jump and you know we don't really get that there. Shall we salute Tom Scudamore because yesterday it was a notable achievement for him because he went clear ninth in the all-time list of National Hunt winning jockeys in the UK. It's pretty special that he and his father Peter are on are on that yeah. list. He's only got about three or four hundred to catch the old man which he's gonna do I think. That's gonna be quite fun. Yeah 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 I did a I did a program on racing TV with him uh, last year and uh, what a nice guy. Yeah, really, I like, I'm a fan, yeah. Uh, he gave Sky Pirate a lovely ride, but as he said, he went out <laughs> yeah, well, There was no pressure on him. No one was expecting anything <laughs> from the horse. He the whole, the whole world, miles. The whole world was like running. Uh, you know, I, I must have heard 20 different pundits say, yeah, I'm backing that, I'm going to put a lay in and running. It was, the price was definitely inflated in running by people. Uh, feeling like he was going to turn it in up the run in. There's a danger of knowing too much in this game sometimes, <laughs> isn't there? If you yeah. just looked at how well handicapped he was, yeah. the cutback in trip. I then... mean, at this stage, you know, how do you fancy leg even money now, which some people had stuck in? You know, he really looked like the winner two out to me. But He's uh, the sort of horse you want to make a slight mistake yeah. at the last as well. Yeah. Stops him hitting the front too soon. Cruised in. Cruised it, absolutely. Bolted up. Yeah. And it's a bit like the winner of the big race. You don't fully know whether this could be replicated. If it can, however, then he becomes an interesting horse at two miles. I, I feel like he, he, yeah, he's been campaigned a little bit funny, hasn't he? And now they, maybe they can kick on with him. I, I, he might not be that much of a bandit. Tom Scudamore made an interesting point because he said, he, I said, does he feel like a, a generous horse to ride? And he said, absolutely. He said yeah. he's a lovely horse to ride because he goes around, travels beautifully, mm. jumps really well. Yeah. Well, he he said, travel. Yeah, yeah, he said travels and jumps, and he said he's giving you everything on the bridle. And sometimes yeah. those horses who give you everything through the race don't have as much to give yeah. you at the end yeah. of the race. Yeah. yeah, no, no. I mean, you can't knock it really, can you? And John Jones actually, you know, he's having a bit of an amazing run at the moment. Isn't he, really? He's having yeah. a very, very good season, mm. John Joe O'Neill. Uh, Nicky Henderson has farmed the novice chase at, at yesterday's fixture and he won it again with Fusil Raffles. The market seemed to suggest Fusil Raffles was going to run pretty well and the market got it spot on though he had to dig in and, and dig in pretty yeah, deep. Yeah, Chantry House was pretty disappointing, I wasn't thought he was disappointing. I, I, I thought, uh, I can't remember the name of the horse that's in front right Lieutenant now. Rocco. Ran really well yeah. and um, the trainer had a, another horse that uh, ran quite well he at, at Doncaster. He did. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Milanford. That's right, yeah, which, which 
similar. Tried to kind of make all and got done towards the end. But uh, I thought they both, the runners-up in both of those races looked interesting to me. Yes, I think the new Nick Mitchell training venture with these owners is an interesting one. They've got some good horses yeah. on the evidence of the two novice chases yesterday. He's waiting for his first winner back mm. since he took his licence out again. Well, but it won't be long on that evidence. Yeah, I was going to say, both of those horses were definitely one for the tracker, I would have said. Yeah. And what have the, you know, you've got two stable companions in there. Mm. Fousey Raffles have been pulled up the previous time yeah. on bad ground. But he, Daryl Jacobs said he looked after him that day it was worse ground I'm sorry I mean, it, was, I, it was worse we were ground get it was worse ground Nicky yesterday horses on bad ground there we can't go through all that again surely <laughs> well it was worse ground yesterday and the horses come out and won I know but I know. It, it sort of made me think more positively about what the horse might do if he does get his conditions later in the season yeah 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 no I you know possibly with the favorite not really running a race you might question the form slightly but it's only a four-runner race but uh no he's it won well enough, didn't it? Uh, present for Nicky Henderson's 70th birthday, Mr Fisher winning the Peterborough Chase. This took place on Friday. This was the Fitzdares loves the Peterborough Chase. Chase, And um, Mr Fisher is in the, the Potter colours, the white with the red braces and, and, and green And this, this was a horse where you would think uh, when Simon Clace came and said it was good to soft, this horse has got a chance. But if you knew it was going to be heavy, uh, you wouldn't have really fancied it, would you? I don't, I don't know, quite, it wasn't quite so soft on Friday, perhaps, but uh, uh, I think it was one that generally they've said in the past would not be suited by too much cut in the ground. Didn't, well, look, didn't look too bothered about it on Friday. Well, it's a strange thing. The times were slow throughout mm, the two days, yeah. yet there were several horses that appeared to run well, who, yeah. a lot of whose form was on a sound surface. So. Bit of a head scratcher in that in that sense. The ground might not have been soft enough for Kalashnikov, who's run a, a very sound. Oh, uh, ran a blinder. It ran a very Kalashnikov kind of race, really, didn't he? Really gutsy. And uh, yeah, I thought Kalashnikov was coming to win at this stage. Um, I think it traded ridiculously short. I think 1.1. Um, uh, yeah, which I mean, it was only just in front. Um, but yeah, it did look like it was coming to win its race. Um, yeah, a, a nice race. I enjoyed that race. Actually. He's sort of chiselled his way to being a pretty useful horse, Mr Fisher, hasn't he? The big question mm. is whether he will ever be good enough to take on the best Irish mid-distance chasers mm. that he'll have to do yeah. if, he, if he goes to the big spring festivals. Well, the Irish, yeah, I mean, well, when you look at Cheltenham, there's a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of arguments it, for saying that the, the English trainers, you know, shouldn't, not Nicky Henderson, but some of the slightly second division not that's bad slightly lower down than the people who aren't Nicky Anderson or Paul Nichols yes exactly shouldn't focus their whole season on Cheltenham because half the races are going to go to the Irish half half I'd be a buyer at half exactly so yeah yeah I mean you're right the Irish set a very high standard in a lot of divisions I mean if we're being wiped out by horses from smaller stables very good trainers but smaller stables yeah Mick Winters and, and John McConnell. Yeah, what's going to happen, what's going to happen when Willie Gordon and Gordon, Gordon get going? Gordon yeah, Elliott yeah, and Willie Mullins actually yeah, send. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Gordon Elliott's been sending over his apparently ninth best juvenile hurdler to, to kick, kick all ours into touch. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, uh, I mean, you know, we had that conversation last week about um, yeah, the Cheltenham Festival being the be-all and end-all and the uh, over-emphasis uh, on it. But uh, I think if I was a trainer, not not Paul or, or Nicky, I, I might think to myself that there's got to be easier money to earn in the spring than, than focusing everything on Cheltenham.
Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. So I wanted to round off your contribution to this morning's programme, which as ever has been very entertaining. Oh, bless. Sort of where we started with a few last words on the implications of the gambling review for horse racing and areas that we, we didn't touch upon specifically, which is um, bookmaker advertising in horse racing mm. and the impact of the removal of that. Yeah. Because so, we, didn't, we didn't talk okay, about so that. The, the, we, there's an, well, there's an assumption, isn't there, that, that it's not going to apply to us. It'll apply to everyone else, yeah. but it won't apply to us. Just, just tell me what you think of that. Well, there are two things going on in this thing. There's the review of the Gambling Act and there's the Gambling Commission consultation. Now, the consultation is going to be quite wide and can encompass all kinds of things, including uh, restrictions on bookmaker accounts and whatever. I think advertising just has to come into that because... The people who are anti-gambling are going to say, we've done a really good job with this whistle-to-whistle -whistle ban and with not having advertising of bookmakers on matches that kick off before 8pm. Uh, but now I've turned on ITV in the middle of the afternoon and not only is it wall-to-wall -wall bookmaker advertising in the ad break, but literally as a main constituent of the programme, they're going over to this fellow who's talking about the show and the betting, and how many big bets they've taken, and what price this horse now is for Cheltenham. This is an intrinsic part of the programme. Uh, it's not just an advertisement. And some people, now obviously, you know, me and you would probably say, well, that's absolutely fine, of course. Mm. Betting has a symbi betting and, and, and horse racing uh, have a symbiotic relationship. It is an integral part of the sport. And a lot of people would argue, and I think rightly, that the sport wouldn't exist without gambling. Uh, but people who are anti, and there are definitely some people anti that are going to be making submissions to this review, would say, well, that can't be allowed to happen. Mm. You, you, you need to get... Now, if that happens... I mean, a Carolyn to, Harris, for example, would she be... She would 100%. Yeah. Well, she would probably say that horse racing shouldn't exist. Uh, she, she's a backbench Labour MP uh, who's quite anti-gambling. Um, there are other people in the debate who... Uh, you know, the campaign for fairer gambling, Matt Zob Cousins would probably say, uh, you know, I'm just looking for everything to be on a more equal footing and better legislation and more care taken and more uh, leaning towards responsible gambling. Uh, so there are different shades of anti, but it does come back to the kind of whip debate. Some people would say if you give an inch to these people, uh, they get the £2 fobty one minute, now they want the £2 online casino, the next minute they want no advertising of gambling at all. all. Right. Um, I think, it, you know, it, it means that ITV could turn around and say, we don't, why should we show racing? Because we can't sell advertising. And, well, they're not know, going to be showing it unless they can make money out of it. Exactly. And, uh, and I think it's, you know, that could be a conclusion of this whole thing. And that, again, is a threat to the sport. I'm not exaggerating to say that this whole review is an existential threat to the sport of horse racing. So is there a responsibility for people like you and me and everybody at home to, to, to get to have their voice heard? Yeah, you of know, course. We, and there want, is to, a, we not, want to bet like this, we yeah. appreciate the There's not just an obligation to do that, gambling. there's an opportunity to do that. You know, in a lot of times the government does stuff to you and uh, there's not much you can do about it other than vote them out every few years. Um, but this is something where they are actively seeking help. Mm. I, I think I definitely think it's fair to say that, you know, the Tory party and the Tory government has some push and pull going on here. You know, we people say, oh, the, Matt Hancock being Newmarket and Rishi Sunak is Midland and whatever. They have some 
you know, horse racing lobby. Uh, but it hasn't done us that much good in COVID times, some would argue. And Boris Johnson is probably not such a fan. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be his decisions and people uh, among him. So the gambling review is appealing for submissions. You can write to them. Uh, the 12th of January is the deadline at the moment. I think that might get extended, but you might as well get something in by the 12th of January. You can guarantee that people who are anti-gambling have already written plenty and will be submitting. Uh, you can guarantee that people who are very pro-bookmaker, like Bridget, will be making submissions, uh, and that, that will be specifically talking about the bookmaking industry and casino and whatever. What they're not going to get enough of, for sure, and this goes to the, the, the gaming, uh, the council, um, is just regular punters. They need regular punters to write to them and say, look, it's my hobby, I enjoy doing it, I can afford to do it, I don't want to do all these tests, or I think it's too draconian, or there should be a limit if, if I'm gambling more than X amount. I don't think they've got enough normal stories from normal people. And if you're a racing TV subscriber, you're, you're exactly the sort of person that should be submitting to this. Neil, thank you very much. No problem. And we will see you again very soon. Neil Channing. After the break, I'll be joined by a man who had his biggest day of his career yesterday with Song for Someone in the International Hurdle. Tom Simmons will be my studio guest. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. Very happy to welcome to the Luck on Sunday studio for the first time, I think, but hopefully not the last, a man who enjoyed his career highlight yesterday with a horse who has been a great servant and may not be done improving yet because he is still young. I dare say similar comments apply to his trainer. The horse's song for someone, the trainer, is Tom Simmons, who joins me now. Tom, thank you very much for coming in. It's not exactly down the road for you, this, is it? No, it was quite an early call this morning, but... Um... Uh, mother driving me still um, in life, looking after me, uh, helped us get here on time. This is this is fantastic. You have been supervising a string now of horses for what eight seasons? Are you eight? Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, please, yeah. I yeah. don't count, but something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you are a, a married man. You're a family man, but mum is still very much there absolutely. at your side. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I always say she. You know, they live up the road, which is close enough to feed us, not too near to annoy us, that kind of thing. But yeah, very, it's very much a family orientated thing. And is that where the interest in the whole game came from in the first place? Yes. I, um, I remember when I was uh, just starting out, I had a pony that was lame. And I used to, on occasions, ride out point-to-pointers um, -point for Lady Nikki Sharp, uh, Evans as she is now. And then we moved away from Hay on Wye, where I grew up, and then moved to just outside Ross and Wye, which happened to be very near another lady trainer called Venetia Williams. And... Um, this pony I had went lame and Shirley Vickery um, said to me, why don't you just come and ride racehorses and then your mother hasn't got to look after your horses or ponies when you're away at school. So I did. And that is where I really got the bug. So that was your first experience of thoroughbreds was with Venetia? Uh, yeah, like, you know, it was, I, I always think throughout my life so far, I've been truly spoiled in terms of being around at a time when Venetia had Tita Miller and Lady Rebecca in the outback way and all these horses that when I was at school totally and utterly captured it. Well, they, my imagination was completely daunted by being around them, you know, and then being able to follow them at school and tell all the monks what was going to win. Uh, because you were at? 
Worth Abbey in Sussex, yeah. So, which is a, a Catholic school mm. run by monks. Given that, how did the monks enjoy your interest in horse racing? We've been speaking quite a bit on this programme about the, uh, the way that libertarianism and Puritan, Puritanism rub, rub, rub against one another. How was it being a, a massive racing and presumably a bit of a betting fan at a, at a um, Catholic school? Interesting. I used to have to often go to the uh, network provider and going, look, I'm not a gambler, but can you, because they obviously stopped children going on gambling sites, which the Racing Post then, which was non, you didn't have to pay to get in it, you could read everything, get all the stats. But it was purely just born out of awe of watching Venetia just place horses like no one, other, no one else does and win these races just shelling peas, you know, like Samarkand, horses like that, and Nordance Prince, who I thought was a most tremendous horse. And, uh, my housemaster backed him every single time he won, uh, and so it was. It was just one of those things that distracted me in a good way from school because I did actually finish school, so it was uh, just something to keep me going, really. So the monks were punting like mad. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but I, I think that it's quite a good. They uh, liked a bit. Yeah, well, it's, it's quite a masochistic thing, you know. Being, you know, that if something goes wrong in life, the, monk, you know, the Catholic way is, you know, a bit of persecution makes you stronger. So, you know, years of trying to get horses to win, and if they don't, or you know, like yesterday was a, such a fabulous day, and people kind of go, it's taken a while for us to do what we're doing now. But, you know, it, it kind of grinds, grinds you to do better. You know, when things don't go your way, you want to get better. You know, that, it's a real yeah. Catholic thing, I think. Inspires you to, mm. to, keep, to keep moving forward. Yeah. So, Venetia, as you said, was having this, this, this purple patch. Where, where, where did the journey take you after Venetia? Did you, did you go through, through school and, and go on to further education, or was it, was it straight into horses? Um, I didn't, actually. My tutor, we were sitting down one day, and he said, do we need to do UCAS? And I was like, oh, never thought of that. So I was actually one of the people, the only people in my year that didn't do UCAS. I did University of Life, as he called it. He goes, just go and shovel horse poo. And I was like, okay. So I did, and I went to work for Michael Scudamore and Peter, Michael Senior, um, uh, who is who's tremendous. And it was, you know, all hours work. You know, really having to get up early, muck out, ride out, muck out, and just, you know, really get involved. And uh, Maz was always one of those people that's like, you know, you have to work hard, but then we play very hard, and we always did. And I loved it. And then uh, I went to, um, via <coughs> uh, Janet Anderson, went down to James Fanshaw's for three months and stayed nearly three years, because I, again, was there, arrived, and it's not, I'm not saying I was the reason, but I was just lucky enough to be there when a certain Mayor Soviet song was there. We had Saw. Presante, Zidane, you know, Revier, all these, and we had all Aloire as well, who was in the sort of twilight years, but still there, a tremendous horse. Uh, so I was just, you know, spoilt as ever. What was it like to work for James Fanshawe? Great fun, loved it, and it's a real, uh, you know, the yard is beautiful, and the way he is with his horses and, you know, the owner breeders he has, it's just that, that totally and utterly got me ticking, you know, I love the breeding and the families of all the horses, and he knows them, you know, uh, you see, you know now with the Tin Man, you know that family. He's had, he's known that for years. Um, and uh, obviously, I, you know, Bold Gate was still there when I was there, and he, you know, he won a Northumberland Plate under top weight from that great Royal Gate family that James also obviously was involved in. Mind-boggling. I loved it. Uh, I, you know, these two. We had, you know, Saw was champion two-year-old or joint champion two-year-old, and you, you just, I, I, it was just like. You know, I, I was always lost for words of what happened. You know, we had Royal Ascot winners just came, and then we had festival winners and at Cheltenham, and uh, unbelievable. Uh, you have an incredible uh, memory for for racing facts, figures, statistics. Would you say that you're a bit of a, a basically a racing nerd? Yeah, I mean, I think 
racing fan. You know, <laughs> w w that's what we all are, aren't we? I mean, you... I'm happy to call myself a racing nerd. I'm, I, I don't, I don't use it pejoratively at all. I'm take quite quite a lot of pride in it. Would you go for sort of more anorak or geek? Maybe. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm I'm happy to be that. Yeah. Um, I like following patterns uh, and seeing uh, how things. You know, I, I will often look at horses that have for other other people and think, how did they do that? How did they place the horse to do that? Which is, well, as I say, like Venetia did. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been watching with great... Uh, I, I love the ma uh, main main fact of David Pipes. I mean, how he's managed to I, win. I, I, yeah, that kind of makes me tick. I'm like, wow, how amazing is that horse? Um, so, yeah, I am, I, but I am a fan, and that's why yesterday, referring to it, is, you know, we want to compete. Um, and it's about competing and sport being sporting is what it's all about So, you know, it was a tremendous day for us, but not so much for uh, the Moors But I just, I just hope he's okay, but you know, it, it was sad that that didn't come to pass that but We competed with something else in uh, Silver Street, so um, but that's what it you know Like I, I was just talking outside there about the Gold Cup the long run one, you know watching three horses like that come over the last it, You just that those are things you can't buy, you know that having Gold Cup winners Upsides at the last that day was incredible. Yeah, you have, you have a, a real depth of appreciation for the sport. It's not just a, I know you love training winners. Mm. I know you're very ambitious, but it's it feels like to me talking to you that it's it's something a bit more immersive. It's kind of a total immersion in the in the game. It's not just seeing your name at number thirty two or twenty seven or forty three or two in the trainers championship. No, I think by my nature, as my teachers will ask you, or anyone who's ever been around me as a child, I'm quite a quizzical person. I ask a lot of questions, um, and my son definitely seems to have inherited that. Uh, I, I want to know horses inside and out. You know, I want to make sure we don't leave any stone unturned if we um, are not getting there with a horse. Like I had one filly when we first started, Tweedledrum, who I it was like a Rubik's Cube, and I couldn't. I was like, why can I not understand this horse? You know, she was sound, she used to jump well ate well, looked well, trained well, but just wasn't ever hitting that note we were needing. Um, and she was by a very good stallion as well, and from a good family of um, the Kingsclear thoroughbreds. And Rolt, to cut the long story short, we ran her at Bangor one day, and Ben Post was instrumental in her sudden research, well, not even resurgence, her sort of upgrade. And um, he said, just do this. And so we took her to Ascot one day, because one of the owners wasn't very well. Um, and I'm not one of those people who just goes, let's go swan off to Ascot. But it was a mare's handicap hurdle, of which she was out of the handicap, which I didn't enjoy much. She had a big white face, and it was that wet that I walked away and thought, that, that horse has done it again, let us down. And they went, num the winner is number 16, you know, and she'd won that day. And then she suddenly just got the gig and then won at Kempton. And then she won a listed race, you know, and so that is the kind of thing I'm like, that worked. And actually she ended up being third, beating a long way in the, in the long walk, actually. What did you do? Just listen to what Ben said, you know, because we didn't do much, much different, you know, we didn't change her routine much at home. But it was just finding that, clicking that way of riding her and, and just understanding what ground she really needed and how she had to be asked, not told, like a lot of... Um, the fairer sex um, of horses, you know, they just need to be given time and she definitely needed that and then suddenly she was our first ever runner and so it was this big sort of, you know, big day, exorcist and Nikki Henderson's first runner and she pulled up, so it was great, but she repaid us in spades because we got it right. The colours started to match a little bit, so it was very satisfying for a very good group of owners as well.
Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Basti Dubai.